today is the last message in our series in Hebrews. Messy, <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. Uh, it's been good, hasn't it? And uh, so we're going to be in chapter 13. And um, we'll be reading about seven verses. And there's more after that. And again, like I said last week when we were in chapter 12, please read it at home this week because there's lots of gold in there and I want you, don't want you to miss out. Now, I admit to being a fan of the TV series The Office. Is there anyone else that's with me on that? Maybe you don't want to admit it. That's okay. Yeah, I think it's because I've spent most of my work life in an office. Okay, and so you can kind of relate to um, the fun that they have with those interactions that go on on a daily basis in the office family, if you, if you know what I mean. You know, they, they kind of exaggerate the culture and the routines and the personalities that we come across. And, uh, and I think that's why it was so popular, is because millions of the people around the world can identify with it. But if you've watched this show, you'll know the lead character, Michael Scott, played by Steve Carell, very well, I, I would say. He, he's quite this insecure, emotionally immature, you know, really uh, unself-aware person, and yet he's in charge, okay? Maybe you can identify with that. Maybe that, not my staff, they're not identifying with that. But behind his many faults is this really, you know, this desire for his employees to love their company, love the office environment, you know? to love the people around it. And he kind of wants it to be a family, you know, probably because of some problems in his own um, family of origin, but it's because it's not always done in a healthy way, but he really, he doesn't like it when he finds out an employee is not happy with the office, you know, and with the people around him. And he goes out of his way often, usually it's because he's upset them, but he goes out of his way to make sure they're good and that they do actually love being there. Who knows there is nothing better than when the place that you go to work is good. You know, you love the people. The people get on well. There's like a joint kind of um, purpose together. You're all on the same page. When that's in your life, life is good, isn't it? When the job is good, life is good. And who also knows it's the opposite of that when, you, when where you work, that the culture's not good, maybe it's a bit toxic or people don't get along, there's friction or there's a lack of um, purpose or leadership. Not only do you not enjoy going to work each day, life just becomes hard. It becomes heavy. And the same thing happens in our families, in, in our actual uh, biological families when we're all making the effort to support each other and encourage each other. You know, when love is flowing in our families, life can be good. Home is good. But when that's not the case, life is it's difficult. It's a struggle. And I'm going to now say a third place in our life where this is, the, is true it's, is the church. When the church is healthy and loving and caring, you know, when we're on that mission together, life's good. But when something goes wrong in the church... You know, it can be heavy. It can really affect us. You know, maybe you've experienced that at some stage in your life. But look, one thing we've learned from scriptures is that even in the New Testament times, churches often went through trouble. You know, they struggled. 
I always find this surprising, you know, it's not long after Jesus was here, and, and some of you even saw him at, at the cross, and, and some of you saw him rise, and not long after that, here we have Paul often writing to churches, and they're in trouble, they're struggling, life is, it would be hard for them, you know, there's church splits and false teaching, there's disharmony, disagreements about how, you know, the gifts of the Spirit are going to be exercised, all these sorts of things, you read about them, don't you, and, in the New Testament. I'm grateful for the, the way the Bible is warts and all, you know, not smoothing over the difficult bits. It's all in there, isn't it? And it's beneficial for us. But besides all that happening in the church, the church has survived for 2,000 years. In fact, in many ways, it's, it's flourished. It's in pretty much every country around the globe, and millions and millions and millions of people, perhaps billions over 2,000 years, have known Christ through the ministry of the church. Despite its many flaws, it still stands and it's still strong and it's still powerful because Jesus said in Matthew 16, you know, I will build my church. Thank, thank goodness that Jesus is building his church and the powers of hell will not conquer it. So we can have confidence that whatever happens, whether things are thrown at the church outwardly or we mess it up inwardly, the church is going to be there. It's going to survive till Christ comes again. But it's not meant to have these problems that I've just talked about. We know it's not meant to because Paul spent so much of his time trying to correct it, right? And steer people in the right, in the right way back to their first love. Jesus does the same thing in Revelation. And he writes letters to the church. And, and sometimes he's kind of a little bit uh, harsh, you know? He says, you've... You've lost your first love and, and, you know, you've been lukewarm and things like that because he wants the church to do well and, 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 to, and to flourish. So like Paul and Jesus, today we want to believe that the church has the potential and the calling and the power to be the church that God wants it to be and to bring change into our communities around us that God intends. And the church is the, the agent for, for that. But here is the thing. Church won't be effective in its mission to the world if we can't get the essential things right here internally, first and foremost. Before anything else, the church must be known. When we read the scriptures, this is how Jesus said, the church has got to be known for how we love each other. That's it. That's the first thing. That's how we have to be known. We have to be on the same page on this. Jesus says in John 13 that he commands us to love each other. In fact, he says it's not optional. The Lord commands it. And he goes on to say in John 13, this is what he says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. In other words, when the church doesn't love each other, when we don't know how to love, we actually turn people away from the gospel in a sense because we're not proving anything. When we love each other, we're proving that what Jesus, what he says about himself is actually true. When there's no love, it's not being God's church. If, it's, if the church is cold and, and unloving on the inside, it will never represent Christ to the outside. You know, love, is, love in the church, it, it has to be tangible. It can't just be what we speak about from the pulpit or in our small groups when we read the scriptures. It actually has to be tangible. It's got to be obvious and real it's got to be a sign and wonder. I'm going to use that phrase a little bit this morning in some of this 
sermon, a sign and wonder that reveals Jesus to the world. And so this is an important passage that we're going to dive into today in Hebrews 13, because it's a call for there to be love in the church. It's a call to be a love community. And you might be thinking, that's what you preached on last week, Pastor. Well, that's because it was in chapter 12 when, when the author said, you've got to work on your holiness. And we worked out that the best way to actually work on our holiness is, to be, is, perfect, is through perfect love, right? And encamp- discovering what that is for us. And so now we're in chapter 13. And here's what the author says in verse 1. Keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. So point one is a love community is actually a family. And we, say, we use that word a lot, don't we? A loving family, in fact. Keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. I hope that's a good example for you. <laughs> Sometimes it may not be. But God is our Father, and we are His children. So you are my brothers and sisters. What is it about uh, the love that siblings have for each other that the author of Hebrews would say, that's the, kind of the example? Brothers and sisters. Well, the first thing is that brothers and sisters are connected for life, whether they like it or not. They are connected for life. The relationship the siblings have is permanent. They have the same father. That's the same for us. You can't just walk away from our relationships as easily as in the church as we can in other circles because you're my brothers and sisters. It's, we can't just say, that's it, we're done. We're siblings in, the, in that sense. We have something foundational in common. There's a bond, and it's an eternal one. It's actually supernatural. Holy Spirit living in you and me forms that bond. Second thing is brothers and sisters are obligated to sort out their differences for the sake of the family. Harmony in a family is disrupted when siblings are in conflict. In my experience with siblings, we're obligated to sort things out because we are in relationship for life and love is supposed to be unconditional even when we're different, even when we disagree. And I just think it's the same thing in the church. We can't just walk away from a brother or a sister because of a personality clash or a disagreement about things going on in the world or about how we do things in the church. We can't just walk away from each other. We're obligated to sort it out for the sake of the wider church, even if we've got to agree to disagree. And because our Father asks us to, we're obligated to accept each other despite our faults. Paul says in Colossians, actually, you have to make an allowance for each other's faults. It doesn't say make an allowance for the other person's faults. It's for each other's. That means that we've all got them. And you've got to forgive anyone who offends you. Remember we talked about offence in recent weeks as well and how it can sabotage so much in our life. (laughs) It can sabotage the church. Christians submit to each other. They make peace. We We don't have to be right all the time. And yet it seems like we do, don't we? Have you noticed that? It's a worldly thing. You have to be right and you're not going to stop talking until the other person accepts that you're right or you're going to break off the relationship. That seems to be how the world runs. We, we don't have to do that as Christians. The, world, the Scripture says that you can submit one to each other. That means sometimes that we can say, you know what, I don't have to, I don't have to be right on this one. It's called being mature in some ways. 
It's cool being loving. All right, point two today. I've, eight, now look, I've got six points today, but they're quite short, all right? So don't panic. Number two is a love community loves hospitality. I'm getting these out of Hebrews, all right? Verse two says, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. That's interesting. <laughs> that part about angels. I wonder if that's ever happened to any of us. But look, don't let that part distract you. Because the main point as Christians is that actually hospitality is part of a loving community. It's one of the practical ways that we show love in the church. It's, we, we invite, it's how we invite people into a, our church community you know, we by, by showing hospitality here on these, on these premises and in our own private homes as well. You know, we invite people into those places and into our own social circles. This is actually an important one for us. You know, we've welcomed quite a few people in the last two years. It's been fantastic. But sometimes it can be tempting to assume others might be doing the hospitality bit. Especially as it can be tricky to sometimes know who, who's new here again now. Like, has anyone else felt that way a little bit of late? It can be a little bit difficult to keep up. It's like a good problem to have, actually. Our slogan, though, is a place to belong. But we need to be very aware that helping people find a place to belong, it can't just be a slogan. It can't just be us saying it with our mouths. We all actually have to play a practical part in this. We all have to be aware that we all... And we have to be intentional about it. Now, I'm aware that some people find hospitality easier than others. You know, it's, it's actually a gift that some people have. And they, we, you should embrace that gift if you've got it and, and, and run with it. But I want to challenge you today. Don't assume people who are arriving into this family are being welcome beyond just a Sunday cup of, of coffee after the service. In fact, if I can just have your permission for a second to challenge you and to challenge all of us on this one today, I just want to say this. I want to encourage you, as the Scriptures do, to take a step forward to be even more of a church that is welcoming, so that that slogan, you know, a place to belong, is a real experience for everyone that God sends to us. That's what we want, don't we? Yeah? That means all of us can play a role in looking out for anyone who might not have someone to talk to on Sunday. We all play a role in helping people find their way. We introduce ourselves to people and to others. We help people find small groups and to find ministries to be involved in. But here's the important bit. We practice hospitality. We invite people for meals. Sometimes it's to our homes, but it's often into our social circles as well. Now, I know it's not possible for everyone to know everyone. The truth is that it can take time for people who join a new family to really to kind of find their people within the family. You know what I mean? But we all have a job to help in this regard. And if you've been part of this family for more than, let's say, 12 months, I want to suggest let's practice this, uh, lo this loving community through hospitality. Let's spend some time each Sunday being uh, careful to make sure, you know, is everyone being connected and, and being loved and talked to on a Sunday and that people are being invited into other social circles? You know, whether it's old generation, middle generation, young adults, teens, kids. Let's be that welcoming and loving church in this area. That's, 
I'm just bringing this out of the scriptures a little bit for us today to, to be a, a practical application for us. Now, all the extroverts are sitting here and going, what's he talking about? I, just, I do that all the time, you know, I do that, that every week. But, you know, I'm actually a bit of an introvert myself, and I, and I would estimate that probably the majority of us here are. So I have, I have to be deliberate, because the word today says to me, practice hospitality. I probably can't do it at the same rate that an extrovert does, but here's the thing, I have found, you know, when I make that effort, it's always a blessing to me. And I'm always grateful. You know, when I invite people out with us or to my place or something like that, every time. And if we're going to be the place to belong, we have to play, we all have to play our part in that. It doesn't have to overwhelm us. We just we play the part that we can. All right. Point three, they get shorter as we go. A love community cares for those who are suffering. Verse three says, remember those in prison as if you were there yourself. That's, a, that's quite a powerful way to remember them, actually. You know, you've got to put yourself in their shoes. Remember all those who are being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your own bodies. It's so that we don't just brush over people who are suffering and doing it, doing it tough. You know, as Christians, we... We think that must be really hard. We empathize, don't we? We sympathize. And we don't really have people in prison under persecution in this country for their faith, but those who are experiencing that overseas, they're still our extended church family, and they actually deserve this verse. You know, they deserve us to be caring and praying for them and supporting them. But you know, even here in our own country, there's people who get left behind in society, isn't there? or by our government, and it, I think it's a good call for us to remember them as well. Or there's people who just do, do the wrong thing. The people actually end up in prison because they've done the wrong thing. I think we can use this verse to say, you know, it's, it's our role to actually remember them as well and care for them. You know, I think that prison ministry is a, is a, great, is a great calling for the wider church. And I know there's actually one or two of you here that have been part of that and are part of that. It's showing love for, for um, the people that the rest of society has completely rejected. But I, I think this particular point reminds us, let's not forget about those who are suffering for their faith in other countries. In fact, we're told to remember as if we feel their pain. That's how urgently we have to do it. This is why every Wednesday night, we actually pray for a different country every, every week, for where, where Christians are being persecuted just because they believe in God, just because they follow Jesus. I don't think we can just switch that off and, and, and forget about them. I, I think that this is a calling for us to say, you know, you've got, you've got a good there. Please at least pray beyond other things we could do. Number four, a love community honors and supports marriages. Because verse four says, give honor to marriage. Remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. You know, in the, in the love community, we, we honor marriages and do all that we can to support them because healthy marriages actually are really important in so many ways in our culture, our society, but, but especially in the church. I just want to say firstly, though, that we also wholeheartedly support and love those of you have ex, who have experienced the pain of divorce and those of you who have had to leave a marriage 
for various reasons. If you're not married, the scriptures tell us you're just as valued, to, valuable to the, to the body of Christ as those who are. In fact, in, in some ways it kind of hints that you might even be more valuable. All of us are brothers and sisters together equally. And as Paul says, we're all one in Christ Jesus. I want to make sure everyone here today hears that, that message clearly. But I, I don't know any person who is not married who doesn't want the marriages around them to flourish. And so it's, it's good and it's okay to talk about marriage because healthy marriages, as I said, they're important for so many reasons. You know, when we did the marriage course last year, there was a single mum in the church who came to me and said, there's a couple that I work with that are struggling and, and, and they, they really should do, the, and I think they want to do the marriage course. I'll look after their kids. Can they come? Absolutely they can come. You know, I, I love that. That was awesome. But marriage is a long topic, so let me just say something really quickly. You know, I often quote Peter Schizero. He's one of my favorite authors. But he says, and once again, I'll use this, this phrase, marriages should also be a sign and wonder that points people to Jesus. Actually, if you're married next to Jesus, your marriage is your life ambition. That's how important it is. Not your job. Not your business. Ambition is good in those things, okay? But it's not as important as your marriage. That's, besides Jesus, your number one ambition in life. Also, not your ministry, not your church, although ambition in those things, again, is good. But next to your walk with Jesus, your marriage should be your life ambition. Because out of that can flow so much good. For all those around you, for your church, for our society, the positive example and influence that you will have on others is significant. That can come out of a marriage. If you want just one take-home point today for your marriage, one challenge on this point, I'm going to give one to you. This year, this year, be intentional Make it your ambition and eliminate one, just, even if it's just one, more than one's good, but if there's just one negative attitude or practice you do in your marriage, why don't you say, this year I'm going to take that out of that equation. It might be criticism, whether it's jokingly or not. It might be anger. It might be being absent too much. It might be not contributing enough. I'm sure there's a long list. What is one thing you could give to God this week, this year, and take it out of your marriage to make your marriage your ambition. We hope to do the marriage course once a year going forward. We've done it twice so far, so stay tuned for that for the next time. Because according to Hebrews, we have to honour marriages. It's, it's in there. I'm just reading the Bible this morning. Number five, a love community loves the right things. Verse five says, don't love money. It's amazing how many times this comes up in the Bible. Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. You know, that, that takes effort. But God said, if, uh, he said, I'll never fail you. I'll, I'm not going to abandon you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will have no fear. What can people do to me? What can not having enough wealth do to me? I think is another thing we could add in there. Since we're 
talking about love in the community, the call here is to love the right things, to be satisfied with what we have. Again, it's not wrong to earn all you can. You know, Wesley has that famous saying, earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. The only thing he didn't say is spend all you can. The call here is to love the right things. This applies to us individually. It actually applies to us corporately as a church as well. When we take our focus off loving God and loving people, we find ourselves loving the wrong things. We, we begin to love wealth. We begin to love our stuff. You know, we love entertainment above our love for God and people. You know, I always say to you constantly, those things aren't bad, but they take the place of God so easily, don't they? They become idols so easily. Corporately as a church, we can fall in love with the wrong things. We can love the wrong kind of fruit. It's supposed to be God first, people a very close second, and everything else, you know, like the programs and the buildings and the marketing and whatever else that we, that we do, they're all really important and good tools, but sometimes we can fall in love with them. We're supposed to be loving God, loving people, making disciples. Remember verse 5 says that we actually have what we need because we have God. He says he will never fail us or abandon us, so therefore we've got to put our trust in, in him first. Number six, this is the last one. Leaders can make or break a loved community. So if you're a leader here this morning, I want you to hear this. Verse seven says, Remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow the example of their faith. My original point was, uh, let's give love to our leaders. Okay, I thought that was, that was a good point. I was going to preach on that. I even wrote a few paragraphs and then I thought, no, because he uses the word good, as in good leaders. And I've seen it when leaders can, can make and break love communities. Kind of feels like a bit of an outlier at this point. But since Hebrews brings it up in this context of loving community, I think there's something in there for us. Let's be real. Leaders can do the wrong thing, can't they? We've all seen it. If leaders don't set a good example of faith and if, you know, the word is good. That's what I pulled out of this verse. That's the important bit. Good has to be flowing from leaders. Otherwise, they're not really leaders. And by good, I mean the definition that God gives of what is good. I'm not talking about the ability to get things done. And yes, of course, good leaders need to be able to set vision and lead teams and grow and develop you know, a church and the organization and all that sort of stuff. We want to lead into the mission of what God has set for us. But that kind of competency is probably only about a quarter of what makes a leader in a church community a good leader. That's kind of giftedness, to be honest. The gift of leadership. There's three quarters still to go of what makes a good leader. It's usually the inner qualities. It's kind of the things below the surface. The first quarter is their love for Jesus and how they cultivate their, their relationship with him. A Christian leader loves God. And the people around him hopefully can see it. I think they can. The second quarter is that they're shepherds. They have a heart for the people. They have a heart for the lost. It's how they love people. The third quarter is character and integrity. You know, what they do in private. It's the same as what they do in public, assuming the public stuff's good. 
It's an absolute essential requirement for leaders in the church family to be a good example, as this verse says, for others to follow. Otherwise, this loving community that the author of Hebrews is trying to encourage us to have, it, it doesn't happen. It, it, it falls apart. You know, the leaders don't have to be perfect, <clears throat> but they're willing to work hard at being this kind of disciple, this leadership example. If you're wondering who qualifies as leaders, we have to look deeper than giftedness. Because sadly, that's often where we go first and, and that's where we stop, isn't it? They're so gifted. They get things done. We better get them. And that's good, but it's only about a quarter in my opinion. A Christian leader is different. There's many other things. For example, you should be able to say this about a Christian leader. In 1 John 14, John says, this is an important verse, God is love. And all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. All right, everyone followed the, the progression there? If you're living in God, you're living in love. If you're not living in love, you're not living in God. You should be able to say that about all followers of, of Jesus, but you can't be a Christian leader if you can't say, if you can't say that you live in love, you, you're not a leader in the church. It doesn't matter if you can get lots of things done well. If you can build a big church, if you have a big following, that counts for nothing as a Christian leader. If you can't say you live in love because you live in God, the two go together. They're intertwined. They can't be separated. For me, giftedness is important, but it pales into significance if the leader isn't leading out of love because God is love. Full stop. That's it. So as we conclude today, I wonder if you'll join me in committing to building on what I believe is already a really good thing here at Hills. A really good thing. I think we know how to be a loving church, but as we learned last week, we have to constantly work on it, don't we? So, you know, that you might have felt just a little bit of a nudge, maybe a little bit of pressure from this preaching today. I think that that's what the Scriptures want us to do, is to stretch us a bit. Work on it, build on it, grow it, protect it. The loving community I'm talking about. We shouldn't take it for granted. We shouldn't think that we've arrived somewhere. Most importantly, we shouldn't just leave it to others to do. We all have to play our part. All of us, whether you've been in this family for 10 weeks or 10 years, you take ownership of this call in Hebrews to be a loving community for people of all ages, all backgrounds, all social classes, all levels of faith, for those who aren't even people of faith, who want to be part of this family, the door's open. I'll also add we need to be a loving place for those who are yet to respond to God. And that includes if their lifestyles and ethics may not align with God and may differ with ours. They're very welcome into this community, but I would hope and pray that they find a place to belong and also hope and pray that, that they learn to love God and align themselves with Him. I've used the example before, and I kind of like it, of when I was a kid and the neighbours got an above-ground pool. Does everyone remember this story? I'm going to repeat it anyway. <laughs> they got an above-ground pool, and we thought it was the coolest thing, but they installed a shower right beside it. And it was weird, because I had to take a shower before I got in the pool, right? You've got to clean yourself on, off to get into this huge body of water. I thought it was the weirdest thing, but it kind of reminds me of the church. I don't think we need people to take a shower before they enter the body of water, <laughs> because I believe 
being with God and being with us, the cleansing happens. Do you know what I'm saying? Let's commit today to being a welcoming and loving church in the ways Hebrews mentions and in so many other ways. We could do such a long series on this one. People outside of the community who interact with us, uh, my prayer, I believe this is true. My prayer is they feel it. It's tangible. That place, man, they love each other. And I think they love me. People who are wanting to join it should feel it. But we have to commit to it. It's precious. God wants it. He loves it. We should too. We work on it. We do our part. Let's make it a priority for all of us to be that loving community and to be known for it. Who's with me? Let's pray. In fact, let's stand together. I'm going to pray kind of the same prayers as last last week a little bit. I want God to, the Holy Spirit to do this work in us. All right, Lord Jesus, we submit to you today. Your word says, God is love. I know it's not always the same way the world talks about love. We're we're holding on to your version of it, God. And I pray that it spreads. You know, I, I think the embers are here. In fact, I think the flames are already here, God, but I'm praying fan them. Holy Spirit, come and fan those flames in us that we can be the church that you've been leading us towards more and more, God. I thank you for all that you have already done. I thank you, Lord, that I, I experience love in this community all the time. And I'm praying, God, you know, we don't want to ever take this for granted. So um, remind us, Lord, do that work in our heart. And I pray, Lord, for... Uh, for your love to, to always win. And because it does, and to prevail, and to overcome. And Lord, when we mess up, show us, show us how we, we learned about how you disciplined us a few weeks ago. We'll receive the lesson, God, we'll learn from it, and we'll be, we'll be better because of it. And I, I pray, Lord, that as people encounter Hills Church through, through the op shop, through the coffee shop, in the play group, Lord, in, our, in the counseling sessions, when people walk into, the, into that office, Father, when they, when they come to a Sunday service or they're, um, they're here for a Christmas carols event or, um, you know, through our, our cap ministry, Lord, or, or even just in our daily lives, they see you in us through our acts of love. But I pray, Lord, internally now that you would just bind us together, you know, with those cords that, that can't be broken, God. And, and, you know, as we mix in together with our different personalities and our different backgrounds and our different experience and uh, ethnicities and all those differences that are amongst us, Lord, that you would unite us together in that, in that big... Um, like a big cauldron together, Lord, kind of mixing in and your love keeps, keeps flowing and keeps flowing and holds us together and um, brings 
It's like it's, like it's a um, place of healing. It's like a, a place of peace. It's, it's soothing to us, Lord Jesus. And Lord, whenever it doesn't go that way, please, Lord, show us your ways instead. So Holy Spirit, inside of every heart here this morning, fan the flames of love like yours. We, as we are in you, we are love. And so God, we ask for it today. We receive it with open hands. In the name of Jesus.